Hello and welcome to Deluded, the Melbourne Demons podcast. Neats, you had Simon Goodwin's termination papers stamped, kind of two-thirds of the way through that game. Um, how are you feeling after that turnaround? You know, I'm not sort of as bullish as you are, Kieran. Um, I think after that game, you were quite convinced that our problems had been solved. That's definitely not true. <laughs> no, look, it, it turned out to be quite a decent win. I think I... Um, you know, was pleased with the result, obviously, but I think that, uh, you know, there's still very, very obvious and glaring holes in the team. And, and look, Adelaide are a team that looks way off um, the pace, to be perfectly honest with you. They look like a team that is probably more suitable to the sandful at the moment, given some of their disposal and some of their decision-making. I agree with that, but there was a few things that were just really, really exciting and kind of distinctive, and I appreciate against a terrible team, but... To start with, Clayton Oliver's performance, um, and look, he's had plenty of good games this year, last year, you know, he's a pretty good player, but he was doing things that we haven't seen much of him do for a really long time, you know, streaming away from the stoppages, showing his pace, kicking some pretty good long kicks as well. Yeah, you have to, no, it was an excellent performance, 22 contested possessions, I mean, he's just an animal, but um, really, I thought he used the ball quite well, and he just looked a lot classier, I'd say, than he has uh, in previous weeks. Previously, he just kind of looked very workmanlike, like he was obviously cracking in and giving it a go, but nothing looked particularly easy or effortless with him. But today he looked quite um, quite the player that we thought he would be back in 2018. I think the thing that still is causing me a little bit of confusion is what the midfield mix is meant to be. What what was the midfield meant to look like? And and it's interesting because I said this to you before we started recording, but you know, if you go back to 2014 or 2015 when Paul Ruse decided to put together this midfield mix, they would have thought, okay, and there was this one piece of passage today which reflected that it was Oliver in the contest, fished it out to Track, who fished it out to Brayshaw, and then Brayshaw kicked into the forward 50. That is what I assume Ruse and the coaching staff envisioned would happen with this midfield group in 2014, 2015 when they put them together. But it just hasn't worked. And look, I, you have to say, what has been I, I don't know what's been going wrong, but I just don't know who is meant to be in that midfield. Like, why is Sparrow in the midfield? He had a decent game again with like nine contested possessions, but I don't really know what he's meant to be doing in that group, what, what's Harm's meant to be doing. So the midfield still, to me, looks very, very confusing. And, and there were definitely moments where the midfield was was definitely having their their colors lowered to the Adelaide midfield, which, as you know, is quite sparse. Yeah. I mean, the first half was was very, very disappointing. And it really did look like a battle of two bottom four teams. So I, I agree with you. The thing that I find confusing is like the midfield, frankly, it hasn't really changed from 2018. And even in terms of center bounces, it's still Oliver, Viney, Petrarca, and Brayshaw. I mean, you mentioned Sparrow, but Sparrow wasn't really playing in the center. They, in fact, played him back a decent amount because I think they just want to put him somewhere. And he showed quite a bit. But I don't think the problem is necessarily the composition. The problem is that Brayshaw just dropped off a cliff for over a year. Well, we say that, and but the one thing I would say, Kieran, is, and look, obviously Viney and, and Petrarca and Oliver have had good years, no doubt, but yet our midfield still has had so many games where they've had, we say that they've had good years and that maybe the problem is Gus, but our midfield has had several games where they've just been completely outclassed. So it's clearly not, um, you know, maybe we're overstating the the, the sort of collective output of um, our midfielders uh, this year because, you know, against 
the Brisbane Lions, they got absolutely taught a lesson against Port. They got taught a lesson against Richmond. They got taught a lesson um, against the Eagles. They absolutely got taught a lesson. So I don't think it is, you know, people can say, oh, Petraka's had a very good year or Viney's looked good this year or Oliver's looked good this year, and, but Brasher has been the one who's been um, off the pace. But I don't necessarily know if you can just ping it down to one player when there have been so many games where our entire midfield has looked quite quite average, to be honest. Um, that's definitely fair. But the thing I'm starting to think about Gus is I do think his form drop has been the worst of the four, but maybe it reveals that in a way he might be the most important of the four because he really does have that point of difference. And we saw that in that last quarter, right? Like when he's streaming away, um, it just creates so much space up the ground, you know, right. because he's, what- he's breaking free. And the other guys don't really do that as much. I mean, they can occasionally, and Oliver did it a bit today, but, you know, that's his game. And he's, a, and he's a good kick into the forward line. I mean, I think our forward, when Gus kicks into our forward line, it just looks a lot better than when Viney kicks into the forward line, quite frankly, and even when Oliver kicks into the forward line. So, you know, really, we need a system where Oliver and – sorry, where Track and Gus are the ones who are kicking into the forward line, and that would make me feel a lot more comfortable, but it hasn't worked. Now, look – it did make me smile that Gus did lift this game. Mm. I mean, look, he was awful in the first half, but he really lifted in the second half. So that that was heartening. And hopefully, you know, we've got North next week. So hopefully he gets another opportunity to consolidate that. But, yeah. you know, and look, he looked like he was getting some of his confidence back. But- he looked really confident. I think in the first half, I think he only had maybe one possession and it looked like surely this is the end for him and the team, at least for, for a week or two. Uh, but his second half was was fantastic, and in his last five or six touches, everything hit the mark. You know, you could you could see it visibly on him. Yeah. And uh, one question for you, Nitz, that I don't really understand. I mean, you look at the way Gus plays, and he actually seems like the kind of player who it'd be hard to have too many big form slumps because his game is powered by running. Right. He has this great aerobic capacity, clearly, because late in games he goes really well. Um, but for whatever reason, I think since 2018, his first halves have just been terrible. I've not understood it at all. And it was funny because I think he's always been a little bit of a second half player, even in that mm. 2018 year. He was. Um, I think he always, the thing about Gus is he always rose um, to the top during the third quarter in particular. I, 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 won't, remember, I won't forget that, uh, that final against Geelong. Um, his, his third quarter was special. It really was. It was excellent. And so the thing about Gus is that even though, even if he wasn't playing amazingly in the first half, he's still, he was still not that bad, but he would always like sort of come to fruition in the third or fourth quarters. But this year and last year, I mean, he's just kind of been nowhere to be seen in those first halves. So look, it's, it's baby steps. And I think, you know, as I said, playing against this Adelaide team with all the injuries mm. they have and all the departures they've had, and, it's kind of like playing. Their midfield is rank. Their, their midfield is just really bad. Like it's it's you know when you've got a midfield of the Crouch boys and Rory Sloan's out. I mean, it shows how valuable Rory Sloan is to that team, and yeah. um and they just they just look completely off the pace. But look. An easy kill isn't that bad, especially when it comes to a team that's that does rely a lot on confidence. But I just I do want to know exactly what the coaching staff envisioned for this midfield going forward as a collective. Because, you know, even if we say that some of these individuals have had good games here and there and have overall had decent seasons, it hasn't worked as and none of it has gelled perfectly or symbiotically this year. No, I totally agree with that. Um but a bit of a more positive note, what made me smile this week is our forward line, particularly the two tall forwards, Jackson and Wiedemann. Um, that just looked sensational, didn't it? And I just want to specifically spotlight Jackson. I mean, his stats weren't massive, but I think anyone who watched the game, that last quarter when he was in the ruck and his confidence was going up and up, he was winning every hit out against Riley O'Brien. Like he, I think at the end of the game, he had four hit outs to advantage, only four less than Gorn. 
Um, he had five score involvements. He just moves so well, doesn't he? And he's just getting more and more confident. It's fantastic. And um, I think, Nita, you have a, um apology to make. I, I have to apologize to Luke Jackson. I was very skeptical. And to Jason Taylor. And to Jason Taylor. Well, I'm not, no, Jason Taylor's had some shockers. Let's not, <laughs> let's not put that. But he took, it is a pretty bold move with Jackson because Jackson was a bit like Bunt in his draft year. He really jumped up pretty, pretty late. Um, no, I agree. Look, I, I owe an apology to Luke Jackson. Um, he's quickly becoming my favorite player, not just because <laughs> of his haircut, though that is definitely part of it. He's looking awesome. I, I, yeah. I said this to you after the game. I mean, the thing about Luke Jackson is he just, I don't know why he's a full name kind of guy, but anyway, but he's, he moves so, he just looks so easy. He, he doesn't look tackleable, mm. tackleable, is that the right word? But he, um, he moves so smoothly. He really does look a bit like Bontempelli in some yeah. ways. He doesn't look that like kick into the forward line. Beautiful, too, right beautiful in. with beautiful. the ribbon on. It was beautiful, and he just doesn't look clumsy. Doesn't look awkward. You know, my concern at the time was I thought, ugh, we're drafting this like tall, awkward, skinny kind of guy who you know is going to take years and years to develop. Who knows if he'll be a decent kick? He's a ruckman, you know, and you don't expect that much of ruckman's uh, kicking abilities, but. I think what really differentiates him is he's so athletic and he's so agile and he just moves beautifully. He lands like lands like a cat every time he jumps. Like it's really quite a pleasure to watch him, to be honest with you. I mean, I think he's going to be extraordinarily watchable in the future because he just looks like this beautiful athletic kind of creature in a lot of ways. He's um yeah. Totally. Like some kind of wild animal in the Serengeti. Well, he's just kind of like, he's just like a gazelle, you know, he just moves through traffic really smoothly. He really does look like he's got more time than the other players. And, and the thing that really is impressing me about Luke Jackson is I think that his poise and his maturity completely belies his age. You know, you wouldn't, you would forgive a young player for panicking and, and getting a bit stressed when they get the ball in their hands. But I feel like he's already got a very natural ability to make excellent decisions under pressure. And, and that's something that really impresses me because, you know, and, and look, it's no, most young players, and you can totally forgive them, just panic a little bit when they've got the ball in hand. And quite frankly, a lot of Melbourne players who are mm. more senior panic when they get the ball in their hands. But Particularly at that height. like There have been very few players that have come into the league at that height and have started as well as him just in terms of his composure and his ability around the ground. I mean, even like Brody Grundy, you know, did nothing in his first year or two. Uh, but Jackson just keeps improving. I mean, he looks so lost in his, in his first game. And, and since then, he's just been... Fantastic. I, completely. In his first game, I was a bit like, oh God, here we go. This guy's not ready and it's going to take another five years. But um, no, he's just getting better and better. And I, I kind of, you know, I think he's offering a lot aerially. And I quite like the idea of, and, and this is, we're going to have to talk about this in a second, but I like the idea of just, look, he, he might need a rest at some point, of course, but if his confidence is getting better and better and each each week he really is getting better and better, yeah. just just keep him, just persist with him. I think it will do wonders for his confidence. I think he'll just, you know, he can develop some type of partnership with Wiedemann. Right. Um, and I think that he'll improve his hit out and hit outs and tap work. And I think that that's, that's a great outcome, to be honest with you. And it gives us so much versatility. I mean, this is the first time that I've seen him tap well. I mean, he's, he's done other things well, but against Riley O'Brien that last quarter is the first time I've seen that. And obviously, it's just one ruckman. But if he can be competitive in the ruck in future games and we can rest Gorn up forward, suddenly we have a new avenue to goal, which we couldn't have when we needed Gorn to be ruckman and intercept defender. Exactly. And I think that the thing is, is look, and I'm not sure about what you think about this, Kieran, but I think our forward line looked a lot better without Tom McDonald in it. And I just think it looked more agile. It looked fresher. Um, Obviously, you know, there were a lot of mistakes in the forward line, don't get me wrong. And I still think the, the small forward situation is still a bit of a mess, but... Um, 
you know, at least in terms of our two tools, I think that they just look a lot, just a lot more lively and a lot more like it than Tom McDonald does at this stage. I agree with that. Although Tom McDonald had the misfortune of playing the game that we played Port Adelaide, right? You know, he wasn't in for the games against Adelaide. And frankly, you know, given how Adelaide looked, even Tom McDonald might have kicked a couple of goals against this mob. But I agree. We just look faster and livelier. Um, because these guys, they kind of move like mid-sized players, you know. They don't they don't move like big lumbering forwards, you know. No, they don't look like – which means, you know, we might have some problems in terms of them getting out-muscled. Right. But they look like – they just look so sort of elegant, and I, I guess, is the, is the answer. And they just move much more quickly, I feel, than maybe Tom McDonald is moving at the moment. And so for me at least, I think – and look, I'm not sure what they're going to do at the end of the year with Tom McDonald. That's going to be mm. a very interesting discussion because, because he's on he has such a big two more years on his contract. Yeah, right? and, and he's on such a big. Is it eight hundred thousand? Is yeah, that the rumor? Something like that. But yeah. he's on a massive pay packet. Yeah. Um. And really, you know, I, I don't know which team would pick him up given the form he's been in. And so, you know, we'll have to pay some of his wage, and it's going to be. I a think very, we'd have to pay a lot of his wage. I I'm agree. sure. I'm sure a team would pick him up because, frankly, there's plenty of players that are way worse than Tom McDonald in the AFL, but. Surely we'd have to pay at least half of his salary or something like that to make that work. So, frankly, I would rather we hold on to him and maybe try and turn him into a third defender again. I mean, Oscar's been fine, but I still think we have a bit of a need in that role. And Tom McDonald used to be one of the best at that position in the competition, right, for for a brief window of time. So, I don't know. We'll see about Tom McDonald. I, I still hope he comes back in because I feel bad for him. I mean, he seems like a very, like, just a solid guy. You know, he works his guts out. He clearly cares a lot. It's just his confidence has completely deserted him, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so what do we think of the back line this week? So, look, Stephen May was excellent again, and he's had a really good patch of weeks, and we've given him a lot of criticism, we meaning you in particular. But uh, Some of his kicking has just driven me nuts, but yeah. His kicking has still been a bit questionable, but like his one-on-one performances were fantastic. I'm still a bit skeptical about Lever. I mean, when he got out-muscled by Fogarty, he, he doesn't love being one-on-one. And it's one thing against Adelaide when their best forward is Tex Walker. And can we just dwell on Tex Walker? He's such a hack. <laughs> he's so bad. And he's been bad for years. And I, and I relish that because I think he's the most unpleasant character. <laughs> Do you agree with that? No, I probably agree with that. But I think he, he just does not move at all. It's funny. You yeah. don't even see him. There's no movement he in the forward line. He drops everything. He drops everything. He really He's like Tom McDonald or something. He honestly he really has nothing in the forward line. Yeah. yeah. And so, look, I mean, Lever played all right as the game went on, but I still think we need a third defender. And so my theory, honestly, and one thing I'd like for us to try is to play Tomlinson in that role. Um, I don't think Tomlinson is going to be the wing solution. This game he got, I think, seven possessions. Uh, and he played, I think, 100% of game time, which is not great. Um, Tomlinson, frankly, I, I don't know why we recruited him, but I do think he's a pretty useful third defender and probably better than Oscar McDonald, ultimately. I kind of think that's where he should fit. And this wing issue is still unresolved because then you've got Langdon, who tries hard, but has got to be one of the worst kicks in the last 10 years, surely. <laughs> he is genuinely one of, but like, I can't, it just kills me. Anyway, let's move on from Ed Langdon's kicking, though. Yeah. We could write but, a book but, about But do you think we can just have Lever and May as the two defenders no. as a consistent combination? No. Or do we need a third? I think that Lever just needs to be unaccountable, to be perfectly honest yeah. with you. He so wants to roam free. He really free. wants yeah. to roam free, and I think he's happy as doing it. And look, mm. maybe we just need to accept that reality and stop trying to make him accountable because it's not going to happen. But mm. um, so, so what made you smile this week, Kieran? So many things, but I really want to spotlight Sam Wiedemann. Um, and that's because 
he just attacks the contest so well. Um, and he's really gaining in confidence. And, you know, it's not like he's taking these massive contested marks, um, but he's just doing exactly what you need to do. He's playing the percentages. We're kind of seeing him grow every week as well. So I'm thrilled about that because honestly, if it didn't go well over the last few weeks, maybe he'd be traded at the end of this year. So. Yeah. No, I'm so glad we're, we're persevering with Sam Wiedemann. I think he, look, he's had a, a couple of games where he hasn't been great, but particularly the Brisbane game is a little bit frustrating because he really could have um, been the sort of, you know, savior in that game in some ways. But I think that ultimately, you know, I've, I've been really impressed by his return to the team and it really does beg the question as to why he wasn't in the team at the start of the year. Um, but no, he is making me smile. And look, for me, Jake Milksham is making me smile at the moment. I think he's um, really lifted. Uh, I think he kicked a couple of three goals this week. And I think that, um, you know, he's exactly what we need in terms of his ball use and consistency. Mm. So it's good to see him sort of starting to hopefully get back to his best. Absolutely. But, you know, big caveat for all of this is let's see you do it against a, a top eight team, right? And that's what we're still waiting to or see. Or a real team, really. I mean, Adelaide is about as bad as it gets. Adelaide's so. as bad as it gets. Look, Hawthorne, you know, they won on the weekend and, and they've got a bit of something, but I still don't think they're a real contender. No one would suggest that. Gold Coast is definitely not a real contender. So let, let's see this against some good teams, but it's something. Um, Neats, the Rowan Bale Award. I'll give you the honours this week for most underrated performance. So I, I'm giving the Rowan Bale Award this week to a player who I've always had a very soft spot for, and that is Chompers Harms. Hmm. So, Weren't you talking about trading him last week? Well, yeah, probably. No, so so here's the thing about Chompers. In After his first couple of games, I thought there is no way this guy is going to stay on the list. <laughs> but he managed to make it to 100 Was games. Was that like an aesthetic judgment or something? <laughs> no, I mean, he's not very Melbourne in terms of his aesthetic. But, you know, I was very convinced that this guy would not stay on the list. And he's obviously worked his guts out and he's gotten to 100 games. And look, in our 2018 season, he played a very vital role in that season. Hmm. And look, this week he got 15 touches, but I thought he marked the ball quite well. I think, yeah. you know, I think his disposal efficiency was 22%. But uh, it might is- have been 30 percent of the time it's pretty right. bad but i think that that feels a bit misleading to me i actually think he did the percentage things and he probably had some kicks under pressure or whatever but i don't remember him butchering the ball right i think that's right and i think look for me chompers harms um should get the right should get the rising star should get the rowan bale award because um you know he's just a good bloke and he's made it to 100 games <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's no mean feat and that is very rowan bell isn't it um okay neats north melbourne this is this is a huge game, and frankly, in a way, bigger than Adelaide because, really, the ch- chances of us losing to Adelaide were pretty low. Although we did give it a bit of a crack at some points, North Melbourne is a bit of an iffy opponent. I feel. I mean, they've got enough class in there that they could beat us if things go their way. Yeah, I agree with that. And look, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do in terms of team selection. So, look, Alex Neil Buller has to be out of the team given that sling tackle, which was poor. Um, and, you know, obviously feeling so sorry for um, the Adelaide player and his family and everything like that it was awful to see him sort of the way he came mm. off the ground. It was, was really, yeah. it was really, really sad. Um, and, but anyway, so Neil Bullen will be out. I, three players who I think are under some pressure. Bennell did not have a very good game. Mm. I mean, he kicked one great goal, but. Five possessions. Not great. Um, yeah. Vandenberg, aside from just reversing a free kick yeah. in front of the goal square. With a in cheap the goal shot. Square, with a cheap shot, which was totally yeah. unnecessary. I mean... Yeah, a cheap shot on a, like a first-year player. Yeah. Didn't like that. Didn't like that. Yeah. And then... Very un-Vanders. I feel like Seedsman got under his skin. Who knows what Seedsman yeah. is doing? But he looked... Vanders always looks a bit pissed off, but I think he's usually pretty good at channeling it constructively. Right. I don't know what was going on with him today. And then Nathan Jones, that must be said. I mean, yeah. he did look a bit off the pace. Uh, I think... 
I'm not sure who they would possibly bring in for those players, though, at, the, at this time. I mean, I think Hannon should definitely come back in. Hmm. Um, who else do you think is in? Is in I, I would like them to play Cozzy Pickett as well. I think so. I mean, to be honest, <clears throat> the thing with Benel and Vandenberg is they didn't have that much game time. So they were at 64 and 65% game time. So, look, that might have been because they were playing badly. So they just put them on the bench. Um, but that is maybe a little bit of an excuse for their lack of impact. But this was definitely the weakest game from Benel. He really struggled. I would like to persist with him because I think his upside is high and I want to get him some continuity because he keeps coming in and out. Vandenberg, I think I would drop because he's just giving us nothing with the ball and pressure isn't really enough. You need to do a bit more. I would actually try Toby Bedford. Um, I have to admit, not sure if he's available this week, but he's someone who I think showed quite a bit um, in, I think it was round one or round two. Um, and he's quick. He's lively. You know, I don't know. You know, I think he should have gotten more of a shot. If not him, pick it. Uh, I think we just need to keep cycling through that mix because no one's really stamped their position. Hannon's been pretty good this year, but he's still only getting seven or eight possessions. Oh, but I still like Hannon's kicking into the forward line, so I'd be happy yeah. to put in Hannon over Jones personally. Yeah, I'd give Jones another couple of games. Look, Jones wasn't wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible. He was around, you know. He got a bit of the ball. I, I don't know. I, I, I would still keep him in. He got more than double the possessions of Benel and Vandenberg, so, you know, I think he deserves another go personally. Um but look, part of it is going to come down to fitness. And I'm a bit worried about this Gorn business because, frankly, I'm a bit surprised that they played Gorn in the Adelaide game because, one, he did seem a bit unfair and he's clearly down. Two, we're playing Goldstein next week, um, who's, you know, in the top two or three ruckmen in the competition this year. So not a great time for Gorn to be a bit cooked. Well, maybe this is Luke Jackson's moment to shine against Todd Tom, Tom Goldstein. That would be huge. That would be absolutely huge. Um, and then we would officially be on like the Luke Jackson worship. Uh, uh, we'd be worshiping at the altar of Luke Jackson if he after, if he completely works over Goldstein, which, to be frank, I don't think is impossible. Oh, you, you've gone a bit extreme in your I've reversal right really, now. I've gone really, really extreme, haven't I? <laughs> you've, Nobody just you've looks- gone from this is a disastrous draft choice to this is the greatest Ruckman that the club's ever this had. This guy's yeah. Dean Cox, okay? Just accept it. <laughs> um, prediction? I think we'll win. I think I do think we'll win. I think that North, um, their midfield is quite poor, and I think that we've got more. We'll outmuscle them in the midfield, um, and I think that I don't think it'll be a thrashing win. I think we'll win by like ten to fifteen points. Yeah, I'm pretty nervous about this game. More nervous than the Adelaide one. I I think we'll win, but honestly, only because it's in Adelaide. I think we actually play incredibly well in Adelaide. I've no idea why. Uh, for the last several years, really. Uh, if it is in, at Blunstone, where it is meant to be, I don't think I would have tipped us. But yeah, I, I think we'll win. Um, I think Brown might have been injured in the in the game as well for for North Melbourne. Yeah, I think I think we've just got a bit of confidence going, and so this could springboard us a little bit, particularly with Collingwood the week after, who's struggling a bit as well. Uh, but yeah, thank you everyone for joining Deluded again this week. Uh, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, and leave us a review if you get a chance. And we will see you after this further compressed four-day break uh, after the North game. Good ease. Good ease.